You're listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the Internet to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web shapes popular opinion, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com. Seismic founder Louis Lemieux goes on the record online. The best type of uh, marketing or PR that you can have is your users, your customers, talking about your products and liking them. Um, and this is nothing new, but it's so different than the process of, you know, writing a press release and going to, you know, work with a PR agency that will then beg the journalist to get an interview. And this is, for me, completely passé and out of date. And thank you for downloading this episode of On the Record Online with Louis Lemur, the founder of Seismic, uh, who talked to me about building support for Sarkozy on the blogosphere, how PR is changing, and sacrificing privacy for the convenience of the cloud. Hi, this is Chris Bechtel. I'm Vice President of Products and Services with iPressroom, and I'm here to tell you about what you can do with iPressroom. With iPressroom, you can effectively and efficiently add social video communications to your organization's website without making any significant changes to your web infrastructure. That means you can have the same functionality as YouTube within your own website, complete with comments and user ratings. You can also use iPressroom to do live streaming of video in your online pressroom, as Toyota just did. 138 million Americans watched nearly 9.4 billion video clips online last year. Start reaching audiences online without letting YouTube siphon away your traffic. To learn more, connect with me on Twitter at Chris Bechtel or send email to me at cbechtel at ipressroom.com. And let me show you firsthand how video on demand can revolutionize your web presence. Louis Lemur, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So now you have one of the widest read blogs in France. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's now I'm blogging much more in English, but yeah, I used to have one of the most popular blogs in France. I supported the French president campaign, so that helped. And I also share a lot of, uh, you know, ideas around entrepreneurship, which, which I guess, my readers like is there is there is there a different formula to resonating with a french audience versus english audience oh that's an interesting question i think that it's much easier to start conversations uh, i mean in comments in in on, on my french blog because um i guess it's you know, like the Latin culture, I would say it's, it's France, it's Spain, it's Italy, where uh, people really like to have conversations and argue, right? We, we were we were the country where, uh, you know, we had uh, all these conversations in the past around, you know, the salon, you know, the literature and all that. And and now, we, you know, we, you can all, only tell by the number of strikes that happen in the streets in France that people like to express themselves. And, and so, you know, whenever you express an idea on a blog, you, you generally get very easy conversation. Now I get many comments in English, 
But I would say it took me much more time than in France people enjoyed um, arguing, <laughs> which is sometimes very, very strong, you know, controversies and so on. But it, it's fun. I like it. That's probably the difference. More, more conversational uh, and more arguments. <laughs> Now, I know you were involved uh, with the Sarkozy campaign, but in fact, uh, you interviewed him uh, on a podcast when he was a minister of the interior, right? Yes. And, and you took a bit of a bashing from the press on that, yes? Oh, uh, not only from the press. I would say the bashing was even more so from the bloggers uh, themselves. And I had him at, uh, as a speaker at my conference, Le Web, which is the number one tech event in, in Europe. And that was that became like a worldwide controversy because it's the first time a candidate of that level, you know, showed up in a in a tech event. It's like if Obama came and 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 to speak at Web Tour in San Francisco, and uh, yeah, that created a huge controversy. We also had Shimon Peres. We also so I like to, you know, keep a contact with the politicians because even though I'm I'm also very cautious, but. I think we need them. Um, I mean, I think it's obvious we need them. But what I mean is we need to talk to them. And uh, the Internet is so important that uh, we also need to understand it. So the best way to do this is to get in touch with them, yeah. What was the biggest lesson you learned working on the Sarkozy campaign? Um, I heard, you know, I learned so many lessons. um, But I... I really, really enjoyed the fact that um, I guess it's the same for any campaign from any political uh, views or parties. It really works like a, like a, how could I say this? Like a, like a little army, if you want, which is very different than anything in social software. I'm not saying it's all positive. It can also be negative. But I gathered about a thousand bloggers to back him at the time. And you should see. I mean, you would say, blog this video. And suddenly it would show up on hundreds of blogs just because, you know, they want so bad that he wins. That It really works like a little army, as I was saying. It, like I was really impressed by the following in terms of not like Twitter following, but the following in terms of please do this and then everybody follows. You see what I mean? That's really, really impressive. And apart from this, what I learned is working in the team for a few months. You know, I only like worked for a few months uh, just to help in between starting to businesses because my main role is an entrepreneur. Um, it was to the coordination. I was so impressed on how they do things. You know, it's like uh, every single day there is news. And it's tough to create news every single day. So they, they were create like every single day. And, and suddenly, you know, at 10 a.m., so they would decide in the evening, okay, here is the news for tomorrow. And at 10 a.m. in the next morning, you would see 200 journalists showing up, showing up at the campaign headquarters because there is so much attention. And and then maybe two days after, there would be like a like a gathering with a thousand people or two thousand people and the candidate talking. I mean, that's so impressive. It really is like to to take this army, you know, image like a commando, right? It's like Everybody works like crazy for one objective, and it's not like in two months, it's tomorrow. And every day there are things happening. That was, I'm not saying I'm doing the same in a business environment or social software environment, but it's, it's such a huge lesson because, like, learning to, you know, make news and entertain a huge crowd of supporters every single day was, uh, was a great uh, learning and uh, amazing to see that happening.
So when, uh, obviously, you moved to San Francisco uh, um, and were in the U.S. during the uh, presidential election here, what differences or similarities did you see with the, Amba- with the Obama campaign? Um, I, I want to be very, very honest with you. I have followed the Obama campaign from far away, um, just because I've been extremely busy on creating my own my own new startup, new business called, called Seismic, and so and also I was so involved in the French that here I you know I, I kind of took some some distance, but uh, I I said on my blog that I would have voted for him if I if I would have. Uh, um, being a, an American citizen, and uh, and but that's all. I basically I was a friend, and I tweeted, and I you know shared, but I never took any uh, like other type of action because uh, honestly, I, I I really you know was focusing, and I'm still focusing on on seismic. Got it. Um, last May, you had an interesting conversation with Brian Solis in response to a uh, a blog post he made on TechCrunch about the secrets of PR. And in many ca- in many ways, I saw it as more a uh, um, a conver- uh, 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 arguing issues of semantics um, rather than 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 ideas. But uh, one of the uh, one of the things uh, you you said in there is that. Um, you know, you don't you don't really need PR. A company doesn't really need PR. Am I right about that? Yeah, I think the marketing and PR are evolving and changing dramatically in a way that all see slower than it's really happening. I mean, it's completely the, the rules are completely changing. It's world of mouth and worldwide world of mouth and real-time wall of mouth, which which is ruling now. And I think uh, you, we may actually not even talk about PR anymore in a few years because um, it's, it's all day long that you have, and it's new, you have as a head of a company, to have a community around you um, and a community around the brand. And that is very, very new. And I think it's the best type of uh, marketing or PR that you can have is your users, your customers, talking about your products and liking them. Um, and this is nothing new, but it's so different than the process of, you know, writing a press release and going to, you know, work with a PR agency that will then beg the journalist to get an interview. And this is, for me, completely passé and out of date. Um, and and it, 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 that's what I meant. You know, what I meant is, you don't need. I, I don't have a PR firm, and I will not take one. And I actually think, yeah, Brian Solis is, is a very very good professional. He is one of the rare who actually get it very well. So we're mostly arguing on the words, but I think it's uh, it's very key. And it's not even about business. I think there is this fantastic book from uh, Seth Godin, Tribes, uh, that I've just uh, read, which sums it up pretty well. Is Everybody is a leader now of something and a leader of a community, even if it's like someone who is fan of photography and will start you know, a group on Facebook about photography and will have maybe 10 members and 20 members. You see what I mean? We all entertain a little community that could be very big or could be very small. But this is the new, you know, way we communicate in groups uh, with passionate people who want to help and they want the message. They, it's, it's all the model of trying to sell something to someone, you know, 
and and trying to influence someone, uh, whether it's a journalist or a customer, is, is I think completely passé. It, it's uh, I'm not. You see what I mean? When I have a new product, I'm not trying to get a journalist that doesn't care to write about it. That does not work. I'd rather have a hundred users very happy, uh, you know, passionate about it. And if they like it, then the product will spread and reach the journalist eventually. I, I, I see your point, but uh, what, what what do you say to maybe a, a utility with a poor service record or maybe a healthcare provider, a insurance company, you know, companies that don't necessarily have products that breed enthusiasm, but they're necessary and um, and we need them. How so, how does an organization yeah. like that grapple with social media? Yeah, so it, so it's a great point you have. I would uh, I would divide those into categories: the, the products that we care about and the products that we don't care about. For the products that we don't care about, it's very easy. Honestly, I don't expect, as you say, anybody to have a community around a toothpaste or a toothbrush just because you know we need them, but we don't care that much. I don't see any conversation going around around that. Uh, or, you know, who cares about your hairbrush? I don't know. Maybe I'm actually mistaken, but uh, you see what I mean. Like, your, your, uh, your uh, toilet cleaning product, I don't think there will be a community around that. So, those, it doesn't apply. Now, I don't think PR applies either. So, you see what I mean. It's, it's, it's the same. Um, the ones which are commodities, like insurance or your your cell phone provider um, that, 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 you know, we actually care about, I think it totally applies, but in a different way. It's more around customer service. For example, if a brand is on Twitter these days and on social software and on blogs like uh, Sprint or Best Buy, I will prefer working or talking to them and buying products from them because I know they're there. i give you an example. I am uh, calling like right now with my uh, Sprint um, BlackBerry, and it's an old model. They don't have a new bulb, and I really want to change to a new bulb because I like it. And I put this on my Twitter. I said, hey, you know, does anybody know when Sprint will uh, uh, have a new BlackBerry bulb? In a matter of minutes, I had somebody from Sprint answering me there and saying, well, bear with us, and we'd like to talk to you and get in touch. Uh, same with Best Buy. And, you know, basically they didn't deliver me any information, but they put me in, in a relationship of trust with their brand, which is very unique. And this is not marketing. This is more, we're here. We're a click away. You don't have to, you know, wait 20 minutes on the phone to reach us and not get an answer. And I love that. And I think that's where really the uh, stake is, is really to uh, get closer to your community. And I think it's, in this case, it's more customer service. In the case of Apple, it's, of course, you know, dedicated, clearly uh, crazy, you know, passionate uh, uh, customers, which is a real community and around the personality, Steve Jobs, you can see these days, unfortunately, with uh, his health issues, how how passionate and, and, and dedicated is this community. In the case of Sprint, I wouldn't say it's really a community, but it's about being very close to the customers. Recently, um, a number of celebrity Twitter accounts were hacked, and it's been news. I'm sure you've seen it. Yes. 
Um, and uh, the c community around Twitter has been quite vocal about the failure of Twitter to explain or communicate what has happened and what's being done to make sure this type of thing doesn't happen in the future. Um, in the past, you know, PR would help with this type of a communications. Um, but what we've seen here from Twitter is no communications. So is, is this the type of scenario where communications uh, through conventional channels should be applied? I mean, should there be a press release from Twitter about what happened and how they're going to deal with it? I don't think so, because uh, they wouldn't reach their audience or their users with a press release. Um, they, I think they're getting better at it. Everybody was saying they were not communicating enough, and now they start to blog uh, a lot more and in an open way. So the answer to the question is uh, the only solution is to be transparent and authentic, and and when a company screws up is to recognize it and, and say what happened and uh, and explain it. Uh, the trick as now as a company CEO myself uh, is that sometimes you don't have much to say. Like, if something, if your server is down, uh, or if something is not working and you have your engineering team working on it to solve the issue, you know, it happened to me that communicating openly, we're working on it, is good and bad, because you don't have a, you know, and then people, the next question will be, all right, when will it be up? And, and you know, you talk to your team, and Basically, you don't know. So my my way of dealing with it has always been to be very transparent and to say we don't know, which is very tricky to to say in a PR environment. But um, it's a fascinating conversation here around transparency. I think we need as much as possible, but there are new risks that arise. Another example is the features. Around Sysmic, we have hundreds of feature requests, and you know, if you answer, yes, it's in the roadmap, then the next question is, all right, when will you deliver it? And you generally have an idea, right? Or it's in the internal roadmap and you have a very clear idea. But then if, it, if, it, if, it, if, you, if you miss the deadline, the users will have been, you know, uh, think that you don't deliver. You know, the, the, the sentence, uh, you know, under promise over deliver, which I think that still applies. Well, you uh, you could end up very easily in a, a overpromise, underdeliver type of mode, which which I have been into in, in some cases by being too transparent. So by being too good at, I'm not saying I'm too, but like you see what I mean by being by trying to be too transparent with the community, then you you can end up in in tricky situations. So I think Twitter is just you know was in those situations where you know when they were down very often they they just simply didn't know when it would be fixed. So in these cases, you simply have to you know, force work and, uh, and you know, being transparent when you don't have the answer, it's very tough because the transparency ends there. It's like, well, I don't know. It's a, it's a great point. And part of being transparent is admitting when you've made a mistake. Um, so what do you say to, or what advice do you have for government communicators who are um, bullish on experimenting with social media, but who historically haven't been so good at admitting their mistakes? Well, yeah, and that's what I learned for the couple of months I worked with uh, the campaign, is that um, the the trick is you have your competitors in, in, in politics, which are much more aggressive than in business, which is another 
difference I've noticed between the two wars, but that one is so obvious. I mean, they just jump and attack you in public at every single mistake you make, and even if you don't make a mistake. So that makes transparency tough, even, I mean, much more difficult than in business when, where, where people don't do this to, to that point, or it's very, very rare. Uh, but what I had started uh, with Sarkozy was the question of the day. I, I thought like people had hundreds of questions to ask him, and I committed uh, to take one to him directly every day. And people liked it, but it's, it's, it's very, 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 very difficult, because obviously you have to be so careful about everything, you know, he says... Um, or he has to be very careful, of course, that um, it, it takes transparency in politics to another level. So having experimented it myself, I can now fully understand why why they're not as transparent as we can be in personal life or in business. I, I fully understand it because they are in a position which is much, much uh, t- tougher as well. So the way I would be good to for them to... Uh, to use it is more to listen. Um, I think listening is very, you know, is, is very easy. So, like, if they define a, a new law or if they have an initiative, you know, let's say how Obama will help the internet industry in the U.S., for example. Well, I have a startup in San Francisco. I would be extremely, you know, interested by this because I'm creating jobs in this country. And even though I'm not an American citizen, I'm a resident, and I, I think I contribute as well. And I would love to, you know, to participate and to give ideas. And I, I'm pretty sure if you take this specific example, you could get literally tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people in America contributing to a plan and a mission. And then the great news is that when they have participated, it's much easier to get their support to execute it, to PR it, we were talking about it, to, because they will feel it's a team work. And that is the way I think the politicians can use it the best, is to have uh, the voters, uh, the citizens, uh, be involved as soon as possible and give their, you know, advice, like using online voting, using online suggestion tools, using, you know, any, any tool, like creating groups on Facebook and, 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 and any, any tool you think. Uh, they think it makes sense, but that that way, uh, I think, was illustrated during the campaign. My regret during the U.S. campaign of Obama, my my, my regret is that generally they do this during the campaign and they they drop everything, pretty much like Twitter, for example, where Obama has completely uh, stopped. And I have to say, Sarkozy in France did exactly the same. He was doing a video every day during the campaign, and he completely stopped because. Well, they won, so they don't have to convince as much. And I think that's probably the big mistake. It would be great if they continued to be in the community a little more, not as much, but uh, pretty much by involving them in the new product, the new project. Louis, um, one of the barriers to participation for government in trying to... um, uh, encourage people to jump in is uh, fear amongst amongst people that um, that uh, putting too much personal information on the internet could come back to haunt them someday and I know you're going to be leading a session on privacy at the World Economic Forum this year um, you'd actually put out a request on Twitter for uh, feedback on um, you know things to discuss anything interesting come back from that request on Twitter 
Yeah, and I have a blog post and a video on Sismic as well. So I use uh, I use many different tools for to to get as much feedback as possible. Yeah, there is a lot of feedback already, and I'll work more on it. I will also share, you know, as I prepare it. And I think that's the beauty of social software is something as close as Davos, when you only have uh, 3,000 leaders participating, can actually be pretty open using social software. Um, but it's 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 a very valid question you know when you when you publish your your pictures uh, at a party maybe you had you know a few drinks and uh, you're really really happy uh, and you put them on facebook or you put them on flickr and suddenly you're looking for a job and the first thing uh, your future possible employer sees is that i mean that's a real concern is you really have to uh, to you, basically, what it changes uh, is that you can't hide one side of your person and only show, you know, the right one for an employer, like the one which would be corporate, where you have a tie and a jacket and you look great, um, but the one where you're drunk at a party with your friends, which there is nothing wrong with that, right? But you, you, you don't. You, like we used to expect that those two words would be totally different and now they're entirely connected at one at a click away sometimes actually your personal life shows up before your anything professional because you share more so i actually think it's a very good thing because too many uh of us uh try to to have two different personalities and i think you're the best and you're the most uh uh, authentic when you are who you are. I'm, I'm not saying you should show everything, but as far as I'm concerned, I'm, I, I have difficulties actually to, to tell you what I don't share because it's very limited. So it used to be my kids that I didn't put online too much because they're too young. Now they are 7, 11, and 13, so I, I actually put them as well. Um, and it never hurt me. So I think this privacy thing um, is just about getting used to it and it pretty much helps you because people see you as authentic. Yeah, let me give you another example. Like I could, for example, blog, and many CEOs do this in Europe. If I don't speak English very well or they're not native, like it's my case, they will have somebody rewrite their text, right? And it will look very, very good and probably very corporate as well on their blogs if they, if they would be blogging. What happens next if you know you do an interview like this? You will notice that First, you know, they have an accent, they, they make mistakes, and, and that kills the image because they will say, oh, but okay, all right, well, all those texts are written by someone else. And as far as I'm concerned, I don't want that. I'd rather show you exactly my, you know, as I am, exactly in reality with my accent, with my English issues, with, you know, so that when we have lunch together, You'll have exactly the same person in, in person in front of you. I'm not faking it. That's my point. And I think the, this privacy issue is just about getting used to to be the same uh, at any moment. Now, of course, there there are some risks, especially in a company where you don't want everything out. And uh, sometimes I don't want my employees to put, you know, like for example, the roadmap out, you know, because competitors could be interested by this as well. So it's tricky how much you put out there. But I like the um, the authenticity, uh, authenticity uh, part that we are all more authentic. 
I was listening to an interview um, between Brooke Gladstone, who hosts on the media for NPR. She was talking to Nicholas Carr, whose book just came out in paperback, and they were discussing privacy. I believe it's the uh, January. F- I believe it's the. J- I'll have a link in the show notes. Um, and a, a note to how far into the show the interview occurs. But they talk quite a bit about privacy. And uh, one of the questions she asks uh, Nicholas Carr is, how can we be sure that companies won't start to manipulate us by using our personal preferences to provoke a specific behavior? Um, do you have any concerns about that? Concerns about other people putting information about us, you mean? Concerns that companies might start to um, uh, aggregate. Well, we, we know already yeah. that um, our search behavior is aggregated, and we've seen, in fact, how a sketch or a portrait of someone can be uh, drawn by the, by the words they use to search. Obviously, you're um, adding uh, to the depth of content with Seismic so that people can actually post a video note. Um, so the more data and information there is about us on the Internet, um, are we becoming more susceptible to being manipulated by, uh, by organizations for their own gain? I think there are, there are always two sides of a, of a coin, obviously. Uh, I see it much more as an opportunity, uh, as, long as, you, as long as you are very aware of what you put online and, and, and a little careful about it. Uh, but uh, I think it's, it's, it's a great opportunity. I mean, I, I get invited to speak in events around the world, uh, like, like in the last month, you know, in Japan, in Korea, and that wouldn't have been possible exactly by the phenomenon that you described, which is someone randomly or not finding, I don't know, a speech that you could have made somewhere or a presentation or not that came of interest, and that is an opportunity. I'm getting uh, leads for Sismic for my business every single day from uh, something which is in public uh, that is about me or the company somewhere. So I think, actually, I'm really, really positive that the more you share, the better. Uh, now, yes, there are companies, and actually a friend of mine, Howard Hoffman, is, is ex- exactly doing this. He's providing us services, search and data around everything online, and you can tell a lot from individuals. You can know what car I drive. So if, I don't know, if, if, if you would search on, on me, uh, if you were a car manufacturer, you could definitely know that uh, I'll probably change my car next year and here are my habits and I have three kids, so I need a big car and so on and so forth. Um, and you, that could be annoying. I, I don't, I, I honestly, I see more of a, the opportunity than the risk. I think it's a question of education that we need to tell, especially the young, the kids and the, the young people, that when they share uh, anything, pictures of themselves, it, 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 they have to consider it's public. And when they put it in private to their community on Facebook, I would, that's what I tell my kids, is they should consider it's public as well, because you never know. They, one of their friends could take it, put it, you know, out there. So it's, uh, it's a risk, but, you know, anything is a risk. Like driving is a risk. You could have an accident tomorrow, and 
uh, that's not why you decide suddenly not to drive. So I think the opportunity is much, much bigger. As you can tell, I'm very enthusiastic about about this. So uh, it's a question of education. Louis, so we, don't, we, don't, we, we don't have audio CDs anymore. We download that and... And uh, more and more, we're, we're not uh, owning DVDs. We're starting to download that as well. And now you can download books. And certainly, news gathers are moving online. So much information and visual stimuli is moving online. When you think culturally about what the different cultures um, internationally bring to the table, the, the, you know, you think about France uh, contributing uh, in such a great way with respect to visual arts. What are do you, do you see a cultural threat here at all to the migration of information and entertainment and news to the internet? Um, well, I, I see again that it's great news, and uh, uh, I, I see my uh, my kids again looking who who have never seen. For example, a uh, you know a picture taking any 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 in any other means than in digital form. They have never seen a CD. Actually, my seven years old has never seen a CD. Um, they, he sees DVDs still, so he can imagine why. <laughs> but no, they, they've seen CDs. I mean tapes, right? We can push it one more, and then the, the tapes. He's never seen a tape. So I, I think it's. Uh, um, again, uh, risk and opportunity, and I was participating actually in a European uh, kind of uh, uh, seminars with both politicians and, and uh, majors, of music majors who were uh, very concerned, obviously, about the collapse of the music industry. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, the fact that everything is uh, available in some form uh, participates to very, I think, to beautiful things. First, uh, the world is getting smaller and smaller. We, I think, the nation, the the, the idea of a um, uh, country itself is getting less important. I think. I mean, I consider myself very much as a as a world citizen. And see, I'm French. I live in Silicon Valley. I still like my country, uh, of course, but. I'm here just because Silicon Valley is the center of the world of the internet, and I feel in the center of the engine. Engine, and if honestly, if it was in Asia, it would probably be in Asia. It's it's more about uh, what you do and where is the best for you. But I think this, to come back to your question, the fact that information is shared that much, that the um, uh, there are no you know physical forms, and you can find pretty much anything online but into a creation that some may complain about, especially in France, of a global culture that have you know helps us understand each other much better. And I I really can't wait for more third world countries using social software, for example, because we will understand them and probably help them much uh, much better. But see all the uh, Wars and conflicts are pretty much happening because people don't understand each, each other because they don't talk. And I, I think just using social software will really, really be uh, helpful. And, like, how can you be racist, for example, uh, if, you, if you use social software or even video games these days? My, my, my kids are playing World of Warcraft, and they play with, you know, in virtual teams around the world, with people from different countries, and they honestly they don't care about the difference. You know, is he from this country or not? What's his race? What's his 
they don't they don't even ask a question and that's a big 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 change is that for them it's 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 granted it's obvious there is you know who cares about you know the you know, all those differences and they just want to learn i mean i'm I'm thrilled when whenever you have a question i see my kids going to you know youtube finding a video that explains it or to wikipedia and that world is just fascinating you know um it's it's funny uh the telephone you know really took off and uh and 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 the great thing about the telephone is that it doesn't matter what i look like whether or not i'm shaven whether or not i'm even dressed um i can pick up the phone and have a conversation and uh, the 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 question of vanity is not one that enters my mind but with seismic it's a different thing right because i've got to put an image of myself up there too and i'd be really interested to know what so what sociological relevations you've learned um with respect to adoption rates amongst different genders uh through the launch and and growth of seismic seismic is absolutely incredible in terms of relationship that it creates with people. I was uh, actually looking a few days ago at a Cisco campaign that could have been a seismic ad if we if we wanted or if we had the means to do a TV ad, which is not the case. But they have a they have a, an ad which they call the the human network, um, and that's exactly what seismic is. Um, it's really very human. People know each other in a way that has never happened before. You would see, for example, a few months ago, there was a U.S. soldier in Iraq who started to show videos and talk and explain how it is to live in his camp as a military there. And you would see in the, sa- in the same thread of conversation, someone in Germany answering him, then someone from China, then U.S. people, then you know, Americans, I mean, then uh, French and so on. And that, to me, was uh, a tipping point that, I, I mean, I may be wrong, but I think this will be huge because that type of communication just never happened. Um, and we could ask him questions and, and he, as a group, right? And, and it's, I think that's what Sismic brings is a conversation which is um, uh, asynchronous so people can come and check it whenever they like. It brings the face, the gestures, the feelings. You can. Yeah, I know people, I know some friends on Sismic uh, much better than friends in real life just because I've seen so many videos and talked to them so, so much there. That when I when we met finally we we had the feeling of knowing each other for five years, and that is only through video. And this is what we're we're building is a. I don't see a reason why uh, the conversation in video wouldn't be huge as it is in text. It will just take time because we're going after we're going against uh, most basic human feelings like you know being shy or like. Uh, the willingness to show yourself in a good image, like if you're not shaved or if you if you're waking up, you know things like this. And uh, once these are um, not taken too much into account, when 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 you know the seismic users realize that it's just casual video and they can just do it very quickly, then it's 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 a different game that starts. Where we see again exactly uh, as I was describing, we see each other exactly like we are. And this is the opposite as TV. On TV, you have lightning, you have makeup. Uh, most you know presenters have their text prepared way before, sometimes by other people. 
it's all scripted. Uh, the public sometimes is fake. I saw that. I was on a, on a TV uh, uh, stand. I was invited uh, once uh, on, a, uh, on a broadcast where uh, we were taking, getting questions suddenly from all around France. And, and the, the, there were two things that got really in my mind. is The, the fact that, uh, you know, a lot of the population is obviously based in Paris and in France, and not all of it, but a lot. And most of the time from my blog, when I get comments, there are a lot from Paris. And I was very surprised. And I told the journalist at the end, but tell me, you know, how come all the questions were coming from French Brittany and from South of France, from Aix-en-Provence, very, very diverse? And it was like... Oh, but, well, of course, we're, we're faking half of them just to make, you know, the broadcast look good. And I was so shocked. And that was two years ago, I mean. And also the public. You only had, you know, beautiful-looking girls and men, um, uh, you know, blondes and brunettes. <laughs> like, you know, so TV-like. And I also asked him, and obviously the first two rows were selected. Some of them were even paid to be there. And that's terrible. I mean... That's just, I mean, I may be naive. So many people tell me, oh, you're naive. Yeah, obviously, it's like this. It's what we call augmented reality or something. But I think it's very sad. I'd rather see people as they really are, not faking it. And that's all what Sismic is about. You should have seen, uh, just to finish by this on this one, you should have seen what happened when one of the uh, Sismic members unfortunately died. He was he was sick and, and uh, he disappeared. And he had so many friends on Sismic. When when it happened, his father showed up the day after, and realized that he had like you know hundreds of friends on Sismic who had left a video, and and actually someone told the family you should have a look at this. And the father came of a member came on Sismic and said, well, thank you because we thought our son was really really lonely in real life, and apparently he was because of his illness. He could not you know go into many places. He had to. I won't get into details, but basically couldn't move too much. But it was very easy for him to be in front of a computer. And he, 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 he suffered, did, had no idea. He had hundreds of friends from like 20 countries. And they were real friends because of video. Because video gets you that feeling that you know each other, which is, which is very true. Like you really are without sucking it. And I think that's going to be a major change in, in media that, uh, it's not going to be like virtual reality. It's just going to be reality. No, it's a good point. I mean, certainly when you attach a name to a face, uh, you know, that builds a deeper relationship. Um, and, you know, Louis, I'm, I'm, I'm very fortunate because I am married to a beautiful woman who I love very much. And I would prefer to go out with her without makeup on because I love her as she is. But she doesn't listen to me and she prefers to get ready and sometimes takes her a little while and um and uh, you know she'll put on makeup or whatever and this is the public appearance that she prefers to represent right. uh, i remember uh reading and i don't know if it was bertolt brecht or some full some european philosopher who wrote uh, camera orders environment when we bring out a camera People act a little differently. Often, if you're taking a, a snapshot, people will put their arms around each other and kind of smile for this sort of fake moment that they think they would like to be remembered uh, by uh, when, when it's looked back on uh, sometime in the future. So, so 
you know, while there is a huge benefit, obviously, to being able to see somebody when you talk to them, it seems as though there's also a huge barrier to, 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 to gaining widespread adoption in that, you know, people are inherently vain. And when they leave some piece of immortality, in this case, a video um, that would live on, they want it to be representative of them, you know, when they look the best. And I, I mean, I wonder if that's something you've learned. Do you find that uh, um, female users of Seismic tend to, you know, dress up the shot a little more and, and male users, maybe they're a little bit more willing to, to a bleary eyed post, you know, uh, after they've just gotten out of bed. What, if any, uh, gender generalizations um, have you learned or can you make about Seismic users? Um, yeah, there is what you say is definitely true. Um, female users on Seismic are much more caring about their image, as expected, <laughs> as in real life, and, and that's good. But it doesn't mean we, we don't have many. We have many. Um, but yeah, you can tell they, you know, they, they care about lighting and they care about how they look. That's, um, yeah, that's, that's just, there isn't that much to be said around this. Uh, we had, though, female-only feature requests. <laughs> or woman only, I don't really like the term female, but uh, like, for example, someone asked us, oh, I'd like to communicate, but can you make sure, like, give me a feature which is delete my video automatically after two weeks, just because I don't want to see myself aging. <laughs> you see, that type of, and and we're actually building that thing so that, you know, if you just want to use it for casual conversation that then disappears, well, you should be able to do this. But yeah, I, I can see different uses, uh, and that's definitely a challenge for us. I mean, I want to be very, very aware of that challenge is to uh, is that people are not used to use video as a form of communication, and they suddenly they all, they never like the way they look, and uh, and I think it will change because they will also understand that it's an extremely powerful tool to get in touch with our friends. So the way we address it is by building lots of privacy options. So right now we can send a video in private to someone, but next month you will be able to send a video in private and discuss in a group, which, for example, my wife hates being in public in anywhere online. She's the opposite of me. This is probably why we like each other that much. But um, uh, she will use Seismic with her family a lot, but not in public. So we're building this, and uh, that's the first uh, challenge we have. The other challenge, but we're addressing it, the other challenge we have is obviously um, being shy. And that one is very difficult because um, it's, it's more about, it's less about friendship than that, more about getting people to understand that video is probably the, if they're interested in that, it's the best way to create a personal brand online, I think. Um, it's not the only one, but if you look at what Leo Laporte or Chris Pirillo or uh, Gary Vaynerchuk are doing with video, um, talking to a camera, you know, almost every day or multiple times a day and building hundreds of thousands of, you know, people around themselves as a community, I think is only possible because of video. They know them. They, they are fans. They, you know, and the more our users will understand that it's a fantastic pro promotion uh, tool um, because, you know, if, if, they, if they bring something like reading 
a blog is great and it will not disappear like TV did not kill the press. It will be very different, I think. But it's 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 a it's a way which is much more deep. You have the feelings again, you have the uh, you can tell if someone someone posted on Sismic, on Sismic you know uh if people are honest. And that is very was for me a very important remark as well is uh, by seeing them, their eyes, their face, the way they talk, you can tell if someone is, is honest or not. On a blog post, written, well, that's much more difficult. You can, but it's much more difficult. So I think that's our one of our chances to grow very big is to is when people realize that it's an opportunity for themselves to create a community around themselves. Talking to talking about that again, which is unique uh, using video. We are just going against so much cultural background and the TV since the 1950s and video and cinema is, you know, video is basically a media where we're used to be passive and watching it. And actually, you can tell YouTube, most people don't leave comments. And when they leave text comments, they're not very good. They're not very interesting, generally. YouTube is really a place where you sit and, and watch, like TV, and they enable the long tail, which is fantastic. I love YouTube. But I think there is another form which will be created, which will... Uh, Howard Rangold is saying we create with Sismic another genre where a video becomes a way of conversation and promoting our, someone's brand, which is very, very unique and, and, and listening. Another last one issue we have or that people throw at my face all the time, that video takes time to watch. Yes, of course, you know, but... If if it's a passion you have, a topic that is debated, or if it's a real friend, it's like if you're saying, well, I don't want to take an hour, sit down with you, have coffee. Well, if it's interesting, if you're interesting to me, if you're important to me, I'll take all the time I need. That's what I wanted. I, I thought the uh, 5,000 friends on Facebook thing is great, but what I like is real relationships with the people you really care about, and I think Sismic helps a lot, and it will take some time, but that will grow, because 2008 was really, oh, let's have tons of friends in social software. I think 2009 will come back to, we want a relationship, like in real life. Louis Lemure, founder of Sismic, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the web to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web impacts corporate reputations, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com.